0: Evening, everyone, and thanks to Andrew and to William and Erin, and also to James and Annie at the back for just leading us in our worship. Really appreciate it, guys. Uh, If you do have a Bible, please turn to or turn back to, if you were here last week, Revelation chapter 2. And just as you're looking that up and before we read it together, and listen to what Jesus says to the second of the seven churches. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you think we suffer for our faith in our culture and context? Do you think we suffer for our faith? And second question, are we coming under increasing pressure for being a Christian and following Jesus today? Is it getting harder to be a Christian? Third question, what causes... Or what is causing the pressure to intensify? And then final question. Are you prepared or willing to face further pressure and suffering even to the point of death for your faith? Now I appreciate (laughs) those are massive questions. And they probably prompt a whole list of others. But as we read about the church in Smyrna, And what Jesus says to them, it's these very issues and challenges that characterize their situation. And it's these issues and challenges that Jesus speaks into and addresses. So let's read this together. Uh, You can remain seated this evening for the reading of God's word. This is starting at verse 8 of chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now, right up front, it's worth making the point that Jesus had nothing against this church. With most churches, Jesus starts with what's good about them, what's positive, but then he highlights a negative, a problem. And last week, if you were here, you'll know that Jesus commended the church at Ephesus for a whole list of things. I think we identified six things Jesus commended them for. But then he highlighted a major problem that he had with them and he had against them. Well, this week, as far as the second church is concerned at Smyrna, Jesus had nothing against them, no negatives de raise. There's only one other church out of the seven that that applies to. Does that mean Smyrna was the perfect church? No, but it certainly indicates it was doing okay. It hadn't lost its way to this point. It was still on track. Now, each time Jesus begins his message to each church, and many of you will know this, he identifies himself all seven times using different images and different descriptions, which prove relevant to the particular church he's addressing. And so last week, here's his opening line to the church of Ephesus. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lamps stands. But as he speaks to Smyrna, Here's how he begins. Look at verse eight. He says, these are the words of him who is first and the last, who died and came back to life. Those are massive claims. Incredibly important, especially for the Christians in this specific context. But obviously not only for them, these facts about Jesus are also important for us. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is, as we were thinking about this morning. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whatever else changes, Jesus doesn't. He is eternal. That's what he's saying here. I'm the first and I'm the last without beginning, without end. But it's part two of this opening introduction of himself that takes it to a whole other level who was dead and came back to life. You see, we live and die. Jesus died and lived because he defeated death. And therefore, to quote Jesus himself in Revelation 1, as he spoke to John, as he was lying on the ground as though dead, Jesus said, I am the living one. I was dead. But now, look, I am alive forever and ever. And as a result of that, I now hold the keys of death and of Hades. Now, in a few moments, Jesus is going to challenge and encourage these believers to be faithful even to the point of death. Hang in there, he's going to tell them, even if it kills you. Be faithful even if it gets you killed. But the reason that he can say that and does say it is because he is the one who died and who lived. And therefore, Jesus knows that whatever happens to these guys, however, however, Their lives are brought to an end. It will not be the end. Because he's died and he's lived and they will as well. And I suppose the question I just want to pause and ask is this. Do you believe in the Jesus who introduces himself like this? Because here's what Jesus said elsewhere and we're familiar with these words. I am the resurrection and the life. And then this bit. It's the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then as he also, the first time around when he said that, he then asks the question, do you believe? And so let me ask you, do you believe that? Well, back to Smyrna. And by the way, Smyrna is about 35 miles north of Ephesus. It still exists today, as I understand it. Does anyone know what it's called today? Izmir, exactly, it's in Turkey. But the thing about this particular church, unlike Ephesus, we have no idea who established this church. We also don't know who led it. But look at what Jesus knew about it. And as I said last week, as Jesus introduces himself every time, he begins with the same two words, I know. And the reason he begins every single time with I know is because he does know. He knows everything about us. He knew everything about this church and these believers. And he knows everything about Windsor Baptist and every believer here. Well, what are the things he knows about Smyrna? Three things. I know your afflictions. I know your poverty, yet you're rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. So three things Jesus knows about these Christians here. Their afflictions, their poverty, and the slander they are the subject of. The word affliction here in some translations, and I don't know what translation you're using, but it may have suffering or it may have tribulation. But as I understand it, the Greek word used here essentially means pressure or to be more accurate, crushing pressure. The Christians in Smyrna were living out their faith under serious pressure. They hadn't done anything wrong or brought it upon themselves, or at least Jesus doesn't mention any personal issues that needed sorted or addressed, unlike the Ephesian church. No, it simply says, listen, you're facing affliction, you're facing pressure and hassle for being a Christian, for following me which according to so much of the New Testament is actually to be expected. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, said Jesus on one occasion. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It kind of goes with the territory, apparently. Which is why some have said, and I wish they hadn't, suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. Suffering is the hallmark of a genuine church. The Christians in Smyrna were under Crushing pressure. They were also poor. Jesus says, listen, I know your poverty, yet you're rich. But of course, when he said, yet you're rich, he was referring to their spiritual condition as opposed to their financial position because following Jesus is no fast track to wealth. Materially, Christians in Smyrna were struggling. And the third thing Jesus knew about them was that they were on this receiving end of slander and gossip. People talked about them behind their backs, voiced off and spread malicious rumors about them. Now, where, the question is, where did all this pressure and hassle and difficulty come from, this, this suffering? Where's where it coming from? Well, it clearly came from the situation that they were in, the environment, the prevailing culture. The Roman Empire was dominant, it was growing, it was highly influential. If you've been with us on Sunday mornings recently during this series in Revelation, you will know that all Christians in the first century at this time were living under the cush. They were under extreme crushing pressure to compromise their faith, to join in with emperor worship, to declare that Caesar is Lord. Key Christian leaders had been executed. And so the external pressure was real. It was very real. And anyone who chose to put Jesus first, anyone who chose to still follow Jesus was gonna face hassle and was gonna face abuse. But the pressure here, it seems, came from another source as well. I'm sure you noticed this. A segment of Jews. So this wasn't the Romans. The Roman, A segment of Jews in Smyrna were also giving the Christians grief. They were the ones slagging them off, which must have been really hard to take. And although it must have really helped when Jesus called them a synagogue of Satan, which is not very politically correct, still it can't have been easy to have lived with that constant abuse. Okay, Jesus, I know what you've said about them, but they're the ones that are just speaking maliciously about me behind my back. And so that is their situation, crushing pressure, poverty, slander. And Jesus knew it. I know this. So the question is, what did he say under their situation? Well, I kind of know what I wished he had said. I wished he had said something along the lines of, it's okay. I've seen the intense pressure you're under and I'm going to lift it. My followers shouldn't have to deal with that or face that, or experience that. Be faithful to me, and you'll be insulated from further hassle and suffering. I wish Jesus had said that, but here's what he actually said. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. So what's Jesus saying here? Jesus saying, yeah, you've been suffering. Well, guess what? You're gonna suffer. suffer more. And the devil is gonna get in on the act. He's gotta get in on the case. He's gonna imprison you to test you. And here's the thing, you need to hang in there. Even to the point of death, you gotta be prepared to die. And the question I want to ask this evening is, are we up for that? Am I up for that? Because it seems to me that the pressure to conform and to compromise and to to deny our faith and to back down, it is increasing. And therefore, there is every chance that we are going to have to be, as a church and as individual believers, we're going to have to be prepared for more hassle if we choose to stay true to Jesus. And in terms of the devil, I mean, Paul's made it really clear, doesn't he, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And so he actually has taught us, I mean, Scripture has already taught us that we need to be ready for the devil's schemes because that particular enemy of every Christian is still alive and well, and he's seeking to bring us down, he's seeking to imprison us. He was active in Smyrna and he's still active in Belfast. And regarding the possibility of death for being a Christian, well, that was a risk for the Christians in the first century. It is still a risk for Christians in the 21st century in many parts of our world today. And so I ask again, am I up for this? Up for further suffering? Up for the devil? coming after me to test me up for being willing to die well jesus has so much more to say into their situation than just that and so what he does and i don't know if you've picked this up he encourages them he informs them he inspires them and he promises them and we need to hear this and take it on board and then i'm done so the first thing he does is he encourages the believers in smyrna he says "Listen, look verse 10 with me do not be afraid It's one of those refrains that we come across time and time again from the lips of Jesus. And although we might say, hey, that's easier said than done, especially when you're under crushing pressure. The critical issue is recognizing and coming to terms with who's saying it. It's Jesus, the first and the last, who was dead and is alive who knows exactly what is happening and what we're going through, who is constantly with us and for us. And therefore, we can face whatever and whoever is in front of us, whoever is applying pressure, whoever is squeezing us without fear. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. The second thing Jesus says to inform and to help these Christians is to remind them, do you know something? The enemy's limited. He is real, but he's restricted. Look at what Jesus says, and I'm sure you picked this up, but it's a strange thing. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. You see, there is a limit to the number and a limit to the duration. Some of you will be put in prison, not all of you. Some of you will be imprisoned by the devil, not all of you. And it will only be for a short time, 10 days. Now that is probably not an exact length of time. Of course it's not. It's simply a way of saying, it's simply a way of communicating that it's time limited. Now I realize the fact that the enemy can test any Christian can make disturb some people, but we know from scripture that it happens. But for those who do know The bigger story, we must remember that there is an enemy. There is a prowling lion seeking those he wants to devour. There is a father of lies and he hasn't gone away and he is still out to trap every Christian and stretch them to breaking point. But the thing that Jesus says is he's on a leash and he's on a limited time period. The third thing Jesus says to inspire these Christians is he does call them to faithfulness. And so in verse 10, he just says, be faithful. Do you know what that is? That is an invitation to trust. To rely on Jesus, to depend on him because faith in Jesus inspires faithfulness to Jesus. Even to the point of death. So Jesus encourages, do not be afraid. Jesus informs, the enemy is limited. Jesus inspires, be faithful, trust me. And finally, and this is a pattern with each of the seven messages, he offers a promise for those who overcome, for those who keep going, for those who are up for this. He offers a promise. Here at Smyrna, there's actually two promises. One at the end of verse 10, those who remain faithful will be given or will be gifted with, it's not something we earn, will be gifted with life as your victor's crown or the crown of life. In Smyrna and the surrounding area, those who finish races in the kind of regular and popular athletic events were given a laurel wreath, a victor's crown. And Jesus is promising that for those who run this race, for those who keep going to the very end, for those who remain faithful, they will be given a crown that is in fact life itself, which is real life, eternal life, everlasting life. That's the promise. But there's a second promise right at the end here, very end of verse 11, look at it. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now there's an interesting thought. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, in Revelation, John refers to the second death three more times. The first death, we all die. One out of one people die. There's no escaping it. The second death, according to the Bible, is the final death, which is eternal separation, exclusion, expulsion from the presence of God and all that is good. Jesus never promises immunity from the first death but he does promise immunity from the second to those who remain faithful unto unto the first death, to those who keep the faith no matter what. And the point is this, or a key point is this, why let fear dictate when you face intense pressure and why be unfaithful even in the face of death given this amazing life-altering promise of Jesus? So as someone has once said, we are all gonna die we might as well die for a good reason. Or as someone else put in all love this, you need to read this carefully. Those who are born once die twice, those who are born twice die once. I think about that. And I don't know about you, but I'm just into dying once. At the end of this message from Jesus, there is that line and that a challenge that appears at the end of all seven messages. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. And remember, he doesn't finish each message by saying what the Spirit says to the church, whether it's at Smyrna. He says what the Spirit says to the churches. Every message in Revelation 2 and 3 is for all the churches and for all churches. And so what is the Spirit saying to you and me about suffering? About being under increasingly intense pressure for being a Christian. What's the Spirit saying us tonight? Are we prepared to keep the faith even if the pressure increases, even to the point of death? The first one that is. Well, if so, Andrew and the guys are going to come back. If so, then I invite you to listen afresh to Jesus. What is my advice to you? Remember who He is. He's the first. He's the last. He is the death conquering one. And then remember what he says. Don't be afraid. The enemy's limited. Be faithful. And you'll be gifted with life. And you will only die once. By the way, in terms of potential suffering and increased pressure, I am not one for suggesting we say bring it on. I don't get those who say that. I'm only suggesting we shouldn't avoid it.